the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. I hope you had a great weekend. You know, I've been watching all the different things going on, all the different politics. And up on Capitol Hill, they're fighting over the defense budget. They had in there a provision to draft women. That used to be in the late 70s and early 80s, one of the hottest hot button issues. Not so much anymore, but... It's hot enough that they dropped it out earlier today. And there's a lot more of that stuff going on. News about retirements. Devin Nunes, the California congressman, pretty fearless guy. He's decided to retire. The media is all covering it, typically, uh, saying he's going for a new job with the Trump media outfit. They're not covering that California redistricted and redrew the maps. And Devin Nunes used to be in a district that was plus 10 or 15 Republican, and now it's plus 6 Democrat. So he'd likely lose his seat. He's been in Congress for 20 years. He's only 53 years old. or Actually, he's not even 53. He's 49 years old. So I, I, but they don't cover it right. They don't cover it straight. And that's why you're here. Because on the Pro-America Report, here with Ed Martin, we tell you what you need to know and encourage you. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. You go over there and sign up for the daily email goes out eight o'clock east coast five o'clock pacific time and you can get clued in on everything that's going on all right i i just have a short wink today a segment and i want to hit this topic china is about to host the olympics in about two months finally joe biden's administration decided to announce they will do a diplomatic boycott which means we won't send 250 diplomats, including the first lady or uh, the uh, the um, vice president or whoever, you know, a diplomatic team. But we will compete. I want to go farther. I want to go farther. Good for the Biden administration to actually do that. I think we have more clarity than ever on the problem of China. They kill almost 100,000 Americans with fentanyl. They steal intellectual property. They persecute the uh, uh, Fulan Gong adherents. They also seem to have what we could call concentration camps for the uh, Muslim uh, Uyghurs, all these things. And they're a communist regime. They hate America in their very charter. So I, I applaud the Biden administration for not sending the diplomats. But who cares? We should not send the teams. We should not send the players, the, the c- competitors. Let me say it better. We should not send the U.S. team to the Olympics, period. You're going to get the fight with the, the, the uh, Chinese regime anyway by, uh, by embarrassing them. Why not just get everybody and just pull it back and say we're not going to do it? Now, I know what the answer is going to be is someone's going to say, well, there's, you know, 472 kids, young people that competed to get to this point in the Olympics. I'm sorry. It's, it's an existential threat. The Chinese regime is an existential threat for America, and we should force the world to see our opposition. It's not opposition based on Trump did tariffs, Biden didn't, Uh, Schumer has a hard on China bill, and uh, -and so-and-so doesn't. It shouldn't be any of that. It should be clear to the world in a stark way, and this would be stark, 
that the communist regime is the enemy, not a rival, not a former enemy. Russia's a former enemy, and they're kind of a rival. But they should be an ally against the Chinese regime, a communist regime. China has a hypersonic missile. They're ahead of America, ahead of Russia, ahead of everybody. Then if they dominate space, they will not be like America. When America dominated the world various times, after World War II, after the fall of the uh, Berlin Wall and the, and the fall of communism, we didn't conquer the world. In fact, the opposite. We helped the world build. But the communist regime made clear their goal is conquest of the world. So this is a no-brainer. This could be a major pivot, a symbolic pivot that would get a ton of attention. And here's what you need to know. That's what we should do, is boycott the Olympics completely. And here's what I can guarantee you 100%. Biden will never do it. You know why? Put on your money filter. Billions and billions paid by NBC to, to broadcast the games. Billions and billions of corporate sponsors worldwide tied to the games. Follow the money. Follow the money to destruction seems to me. All right, we got to take a break. We will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with my old friend, Don Critchlow. Uh, Dr. Donald T. Critchlow is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University. He also taught at St. Louis University, uh, where he was uh, quite close and friendly and, in fact, uh, shared office space with the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked. He's written a number of books. We've had him on the show and talking about his last book, In Defense of Populism. Uh, that was That's an interesting one. Also, he's written four or five other books, including Phyllis Schlafly and Grassroots Conservatism, A Woman's Crusade. Uh, he really uh, insightful on this, and he currently uh, heads the program uh, in political history and leadership at Arizona State University. Uh, welcome, Don Critchell. How are you, Don? Hey, Gary, uh, speaking with you, Ed. Well, thank you for the chance, and I have to say your newest book, which is in my hand right now, is called Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny, and it's published by Regnery History, our old friends at Regnery. And uh, Don, I, I went through this book, I read it in, in spurts, and so I have some questions. Uh, first of all, how'd you pick the five, meaning... There's others you could have picked, I, I think. You know, you could have, or you, maybe you, you could have done 10, and maybe that would have been too long a book. But how'd you pick these five? We have Lenin, Mao, Castro, uh, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, and Khomeini, uh, Khomeini um, the Ayatollah. How'd you pick those five? Yeah, before we uh, get to how I picked the uh, five monsters, and there were many to choose from, I want to <laughs> say that the, what inspired me to uh, write the book was uh, seeing a poll in which uh, 52% of young people thought socialism, communism was uh, good. And then I saw another wow. poll that said uh, 20% of our young people want to uh, abolish private property and think the state uh, should hold it, uh, should own it. So that's what inspired me to write the book. But, so but, but, but Don, 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 let me interrupt you, because you, you've yeah. spent your career, I mean, writing and, and lecturing, it's true, but teaching young people. Is the, is the college campus sophomore or junior so different than 25 years ago when you started? Is it, has you, can you feel that shift when you're teaching? Yeah, I see the uh, shift in uh, two ways. 
Uh, one is uh, we see uh, the results of K uh, through 12 education, in which uh, students are coming out uh, really quite uh, ignorant about uh, history. Uh, and I saw, I heard a student uh, last week say, and he was a history major and taking three history courses, that he had never heard that uh, Poland had been uh, a communist uh, country and he had never heard of the Berlin Wall. So I'm seeing a, a really kind of a lack of, uh, of knowledge here. And what I'm also seeing is a shift in a more progressive uh, direction among many, uh, many students. So it's one of the reasons I wrote Revolutionary Monsters, and it's a different kind of book. Uh, it's short, yeah. about 200 uh, pages, and it was really written in such a way to uh, engage uh, younger uh, readers. So this isn't a, a kind of an academic book. It's uh, it's uh, right. written for the general public, uh, the uh, and it wasn't written for uh, academics. So anyway, we uh, how how did I choose the uh, five? Yeah. Well, yep. uh, yeah. The uh, I I chose I chose the five uh, representing different content uh, continents. So we have. Uh, London and Russia, mm-hmm. Mao and China, Castro and Latin America, Caribbean, Mugabe in Africa, and uh, Khomeini in the Middle East. And what I wanted mm-hmm. to show is uh, a certain pattern to these uh, revolutionary monsters uh, to uh, mm-hmm. help uh, awaken the general public and especially our young today as we uh, seem to be uh, headed toward a so- uh, socialist uh, agenda in this country. We're talking with uh, Don Critchlow. Uh, Don Critchlow is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University. His new book, his newest book, is called Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny uh, by uh, Regnery uh, Publishing. Uh, I think the, the actual imprint is uh, called Regnery History. They do these history books. I, I agree with you, by the way, on that, uh, Don. I've read your other books, and this one is more, it is kind of shorter chapters, kind of getting to the point. It's kind of, um, seems like a w- the way a lot of uh, history maybe is being written now, and, and I, I, like it. I like it. It's, it fits fits the moment um but back for one second let me pause um the um when you talked about the five and so we went we went through my lenin mao castro mugabe and khomeini earlier in the book i'm trying to find the page i'm sorry but oh yeah you talk here it is you talk about revolutions and and they're by nature they're upheavals and you say um and there there's some that happen with minimal bloodshed uh now i think you mean there the kind of slaughter that you've seen these five when you go on to cover them. But Glorious Revolution in England in 1689, not so bad. American Revolution, 1776. Uh, and then you say Russian czar in February 1917. They're not terrible bloodshed. But then, of course, what happened in uh, Russia, the Bolshevik, you know, what followed was the, well, Lenin and the horrendousness. Um, is that how, what, 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 what do you feel about the moment we're in? When you think to yourself yeah. about revolution and you see around the world, um, you know, the is is are we ripe for these kinds of monsters again or are we sort of past it? I mean, how do yeah. you think? I mean, I know what you're teaching here, but are, are we close to that anywhere? Yeah, I think, look, at we uh, uh, everywhere uh, there's monsters among us and they can uh, and during times of uh, social upheaval, they can take uh, control of revolutions and create uh, regimes of tyranny. And that's exactly what all these monsters uh, did. They took advantage of uh, 
of uh, revolutionary of discord, social discord, and directed it toward a uh, revolution. So the point I was making with the American Revolution, and I might add the uh, later Polish Revolution, which the student there know about in 1989, is that there's a difference between a political revolution that wants to change the political system to allow more represent, representative uh, government, and a social revolution that's seeking uh, social uh, equality and trying to create the uh, perfect man. So the, all of these mm-hmm. monsters, from Lenin to Khomeini, all sought uh, social revolutions and uh, in which you were going to uh, create perfect uh, societies. And so they, they have a sense of uh, human uh, perfection that, um, that uh, cannot be achieved actually on this uh, on this earth. So that's what the uh, book is about. I it's see. a direct message to the young people uh, about the difference uh, again, between political change and revolution. Uh, we're ta- again, we're talking with Don Critchlow. His book is Revolutionary Monsters uh, from Regnery History. Um, the, the, um, does the, does the, the, presence of these men in this case in history does it do you find i know you've been teaching this again that when people hear that they get it or do they think oh that's in the past you know there was hitler too he was a bad guy as you say one of the what was the what's the c.s lewis uh, line i think it's c.s lewis that says you know one of the greatest tricks the devil ever did was convincing people he didn't exist people uh, seem to not think that they're, they're not think that there are monsters among us or there could be they just think that's just not there i mean do you find that yeah, uh, yeah, of course, because there's uh, uh, kind of a lack of uh, historical knowledge. Uh, right. You asked a question about the potential for uh, social uh, revolutions and monsters emerging. I think mm-hmm. that could occur yeah. in uh, many societies, but what we're witnessing today in America is uh, a quiet revolution that's coming from uh, above. So we have uh, corporations, inter- media, entertainment, uh, academia that's pushing uh, very, ra- very rapidly and a very radical uh, socialist uh, agenda. And uh, so it's coming from above. It's not coming from uh, from below. And if, uh, and if there's not uh, – and, and so what happens when regimes uh, – having uh, and betray their own uh, foundational principles, either they you get more social discord, which we're experiencing, or they just uh, end, end uh, uh, whimpering uh, away and quietly uh, collapse. So that we're experiencing a quiet revolution from above right now is how I would uh, see the see the current situation. Well- we're again, Don Critchlow, the book is Revolutionary Monsters, um, a regnery history. You know, all things are, are self-referential. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking about your, your book on Phyllis Schlafly and grassroots conservatism, A Woman's Crusade, came out in 2005, in which you describe what happened and you kind of your, your, your um, uh, analysis of what was happening in that period and organizationally. And, 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 and so, Don, what I want to ask you, and, you, you know, you, at Arizona State, you've got these programs, you're teaching leadership, you're teaching the kids. Um, the power of big tech and big media and big government to try to manage what the public, what is known as the truth, 
seems extraordinary to me beyond i mean i talk about it all the time on this show I, let's stick to the one the russia 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 hoax i mean just in the last 10 days the steel the steel the guy steel christopher steel is trotted out and he's not mocked for being uh you know a fool and a liar he's lionized for having said something profound and again i i don't know i don't know the truth of any of it except i know that what he i mean in terms of what allegations about this and the other thing but i know that nothing was proved in fact everything was not proved, and yet the media and the and the government and everybody is is kind of convincing us. I mean, we 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 had a uh, we had an impeachment uh, after January sixth based on what is now laughable. I mean, again, nobody's defending any kind of violence, but it, it, we're watching the power of big media, a uh, big tech, and big government, and it's breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely uh, breathtaking what they're trying to do with. Uh with Steele was uh, resurrecting and he gets on uh, television and says the uh, what we know was a Russian hoax, but he said there's more evidence still out there that's going to uh, come. I mean, it's shocking that, that, that he's uh, even even uh, going on TV without any sense of embarrassment. But this was yeah. an engineered, this was all engineered by the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. We know that. Uh, we have facts. Uh, we know the details uh, of what happened. And then we have uh, Andy McCain, who was fired from the FBI for his involvement in, uh, in this. And he's going on television uh, as some kind of uh, hero, too. But even worse is that we see uh, our own Department of Justice uh, unleashing a politicized FBI to investigate uh, parents who are protesting against uh, neo-racist uh, indoctrination of their kids, and they're uh, and they're now going to be uh, investigated to see if they're d- domestic terrorists. We are in a bad place in this country, and we should. Uh, it's just not uh, an issue of right and left. Actually, I think the left should be really concerned about what's happening in this country with the politicized uh, FBI, the politicized uh, CIA, and the uh, politicized um, NSA. I mean, we're in a bad uh, situation, and we're not headed in a, in a good direction. So in all of my books, uh, from Phyllis Schlafly on, I've talked about that we need to be active on the grassroots level. It is. Um, it's interesting. By the way, uh, Don, I was looking up, and I, in a couple of, I mean, a month or so, you're going to have an event. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's in a month or so in November uh, at at uh, the uh, Political History and Leadership Program at AS, ASU with Ken Starr and Don Critchlow talking about this. It's uh, that's a great pairing, and it'll be interesting. Uh, Don, I got to run though. Let me just say it again. The book is Revolutionary Monsters with Don Critchlow. It's Regnery History, and uh, I do think you've achieved what you set out. It reads well. It reads. Uh, quickly, I gave it to my 17-year-old daughter who's a uh, senior in high school. I can't say she's read it yet, but I said you ought to look at this, and she said she would. It, it seems to me it, it, it pops along well, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk about it with us, Don. Hey, thank you very much, and you take care, Ed. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, Don. Don Critchell, everybody. I'll put it up on social media. Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. Donald T. Critchlow, Arizona State University professor. And uh, the book is Regnery History. We'll take a break, everybody. And we've got a lot more when we come back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. My old friend, he's not, well... 
my new friend over the last year or two, but a guy I have lunch with about once a month is Joe Johnston and Joseph F. Johnston Jr., to be more exact. His book was published last year by uh, uh, Republic Book Publishers. It's called The Decline of Nations, Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in the World. It's excellent. I've bought a couple copies extra and sent them to people, and, and it's really timely, so timely that uh, Joe just published, he's got an essay that he's publishing. I don't know if he's t- to announced where it's going to go, but uh, on sort of updating the book. Uh, the title is The Decline of the United States, and he's talking about what he's seen since the book was published a year ago. And uh, it's a fascinating topic, fascinating issue, and a fascinating man. Uh, Joe Johnson, welcome to the program. Welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you very much, Ed. Glad to be with you. So when you say um, The Decline of the United States, you're writing an essay about this, uh, only a year ago, you had the book. I guess it was probably a year and a half ago that you would have been put the bu- put the book into the publisher. So it's a couple years since you put the last word in this book. How much has life changed in America since you finished your book, The Decline of Nations? A lot has changed, Ed. I mean, 2020 was a a really active year and not a, not active in a good direction. We had massive uh, uh, unrest in the cities. Uh, a lot of damage, uh, riots, looting, etc. And uh, there was a continuation of the unfavorable trends that I talk about in the book, including, for example, vast government extravagance and, and huge spending. Uh, and that, that is continuing today much worse than it was before. You have a federal government now, the Biden administration is proposing to spend on top of the trillions that have already been spent in the last couple of years, uh, an additional $1.2 trillion in so-called infrastructure spending, which is mostly not really infrastructure, and $3.5 trillion in social welfare expenditures, uh, child care, student loans, rental assistance, and many other types of welfare spending. That's going to be chopped down somewhat by Congress, but this is on top of a $28 trillion debt, federal debt. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a new record, and those are numbers that are just absolutely staggering. How can you possibly repay those kinds of numbers? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking with Joe Johnson, and I'm looking at your essay, and and uh, and a lot of that's in there, and I'm, I, I'm, I will make sure to link it on social media. But I want to go to the section you and I have talked about offline a number of times, and that's American culture. So it's a heading yeah. in this essay you've written, which is a few thousand words. And so in the beginning of this, um, this is the first sentence of that section uh, of this essay, which is all you write about this in the book. During the first two-thirds of the 20th century, Joe Johnson writes, the United States still had what could be described as a common culture. Joe, the question I have is, can you have a nation when you have such rapidly fragmenting common culture? I don't know. You and I will sit at a table and have a meal together and we will recognize in ourselves, our families, our our aspirations, our our histories, a common culture. But I think it's so uncommon now. I mean, can you can you sustain and, and can you fix what looks like, uh, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall? Can you fix it? Well, that's a great question, Ed. Great question. Uh, I am afraid the answer is that it's going to be very difficult and it's going to take a radical reshaping of the culture. We had a culture uh, where there was a general in up until the really the end of the 20th century. 
there was a general acceptance of traditional moral and religious values, including personal responsibility, uh, respect for law and order, and so forth. And that began to change in the late 20th century into a culture that's really uh, they call it, called postmodern, that is rootless, right. it's, it's devoid of spiritual values, it's a secularized culture where uh, God is largely forgotten, and, and uh, a sort of culture of uh, frivolity and, 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 and libertinism reigns. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Joe, I I can't remember now who I was with. As you know, I talk to you all the time about how I bring this up to people, ra- not random, but people I meet, and I say, "What's your perspective?" I think it might have been a friend, a new friend who's from Poland, and um, he made the observation that one of the ways that common culture can be—I told you this when we met the other day—but common culture can be sort of knitted together or rejuvenated is war, a common enemy. The Cold War, whether it was a you know it was a third world war of the of the 20th century, Americans were knitted together. We're we're for the freedom side, and they're for the oppressive side. And in the modern sensibility, I guess it could be China probably is our our, our enemy in a certain sense. But it, it doesn't look like you can have a if we have a full on war. If we have a war like Afghanistan, again, you write about in the essay, it was a debacle. How it ended was emblematic of how at least it was. Uh, communicated to the American people for the last about 15 years of the 20-year war, but even maybe it was at the heart of the whole performance, but how it was, so it doesn't look like we can have a successful war, and if we have a nuclear war, the whole world is shot. So I, if that's off the table, this friend of mine said, I'm not sure what's uh, what's on the table, uh, and, and that's what I wonder. I mean, you're seeing people uh, protest at the school board about the basics not not about like something complicated like what is federalism how does a republic work no it's just about the basics of do we have a history or not well that's a, a that's a great question too and of course this is an old question for philosophers uh william james wrote a book uh, early in the 20th century called the moral equivalent of war and william james recognized as many philosophers have throughout the ages that the key to a strong society is discipline, and war brings you discipline. The, the, mm. the population comes together in a disciplined fashion in order to fight the enemy. What, what James recognized and what I recognized, and I think uh, most philosophers have recognized, is you need the moral equivalent of war. That is something that will discipline people uh, to disregard their personal ambitions and to look toward the common good. And that takes some kind of, if not a foreign enemy, a domestic enemy, or at least something that people can recognize as a threat. Yeah. It, um, are, are you uh, optimistic today? Uh, I am somewhat pessimistic, I've got to tell you. Although I'm optimistic in the sense that the American people have been very resilient over our history. We have overcome lots of lots of serious problems, including a civil war, including uh, recessions, including a couple of world wars. And we've come out of it, in each case, stronger than when we entered it. Now the question is whether we have that resilience and whether we have that discipline to overcome the present problems, the present threats, which are a rootlessness and a lack of spirituality and uh, 
and and an absence of the the courage, fortitude, and prudence that are necessary to a strong society. Again, we're talking with uh, Joe Johnston. His book is called "His Name: The Decline of Nations." Uh, came out in 2020. Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in, and uh, in the World. And uh, I, I should underline it's Republic Book Publishers. But I, the, the beauty of this book is that you uh, he spends the first uh, about half of the book, and he talks uh, about Rome and Britain, maybe a little less than half, about a first third uh, Rome and Britain, and uh, and then goes to America and and, and talks about. It. So it's it's really educational on the history. Um, but uh, you you wrote this essay just as, as in here in this month in October, uh, because in part you saw things um, uh, differently two years after you'd finished maybe f- writing that book. What's the role of the, well, let's say it differently. We are now seeing fairly clearly failed leadership at, at, in the presidency. Like putting aside the politics of it, this is just not a man who has stepped up to the job. This is not someone where you say Joe Biden really stepped into the job. He was able to communicate. He was able, even if it was, again, we disagreed on his policies. No, it's just a failure of leadership profoundly. Um, and, and I guess to some people on the left right. or its center or whatever would say Trump was a failure. But let's just focus on Biden. We're living in this you know, rapidly deteriorating confidence in the president of the United States, Joe Biden. How badly are we, you know, is our culture and our chances when you don't have leaders who you at least see competence and seriousness of purpose? That is an extremely important point, Ed. The leadership of Biden uh, since his inauguration has been basically an abject failure. His management of, of the Afghanistan debacle is a great example. He just withdrew. He just pulled the troops out without letting our allies know and created a total chaos. I mean, that's an example. His financial management, as I talked about previously, has been totally irresponsible. Uh, chaos on the border Mass illegal immigration. He's done nothing whatever about that. Inflation is picking up rapidly. The crime wave that we had in the 2020 and still exists in many cities. There's an energy crisis that we're facing right now that's due to the fact that uh, Biden has an anti-energy policy. He killed the, 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 the Keystone XL pipeline. He stopped drilling in, in, uh, on federal land, etc. These vaccine mandates, which are absolutely useless, have cri- are crippling the economy. Uh, and to pay for all the massive spending spree, he's gonna, you're going to have to see big tax increases which are going to impair the economy. I mean, this is a few of the things that have happened under this inept leadership. Yeah, it is. Um, it's uh, it's ex- extraordinary to see. That's a whole section in this essay by Joe Johnston, too, by the way, is on uh, the leadership crisis. All right, Joe, I got to run. Unfortunately, I will. Um, we'll have you back on again. I, I'm glad you're writing still. And I look forward to uh, you and I breaking bread again soon. Thank you for your time, sir. Pleasure to talk to you. Ed. Enjoyed it. OK. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. On this date in 1941, the Imperial Japanese Naval Air Service executed an unprovoked and undeclared surprise attack on the American naval base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. 
2,335 servicemen died in that shameful assault, as well as 68 civilians. Four American battleships, three cruisers, three destroyers, and a handful of other ships were sunk. The next day, President Roosevelt delivered his iconic infamy speech, and Congress voted to officially declare war on Japan. Of course, the attack itself is not what makes the day live in infamy. Surprise attacks are a natural part of war. Rather, it's the cowardly nature of the attack that draws such universal disgust. In Roosevelt's famous speech, he stated, quote, The distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace, end quote. Roosevelt's point is that Japan violated the internationally recognized rules of war by engaging in the surprise attack before making a formal declaration of war. Instead of this, Japan utilized cowardly deception to kill thousands of Americans. It's no wonder this attack was later judged to be a war crime at the Tokyo trials following World War II. Any American who seeks to understand American foreign policy must learn the lesson that was taught when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Not all nations follow the rules like America does. When America gives our word that we'll do something, we almost always do it. Today's adversarial nations like China and Russia consider this to be a weakness. For example, they'll gladly sign an environmental deal to get the international attention. However, they do so without ever really meaning to follow through on this. Let me make very clear that I'm proud to live in a nation where we keep our word and follow the rules. It speaks well of our Judeo-Christian heritage. However, when we make the mistake of assuming other nations will be as honest as we are, we put our own interests and even our national security at risk. Learn the central lesson of Pearl Harbor. Never take adversarial nations' word at face value. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability never hesitating to say America first. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, if you're like my kids, you don't want to hear... Any talk of uh, Christmas this early. My kids have a, 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 an, an informal rule that they don't want to hear Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, but they don't even want to talk about Christmas stuff like shopping and all until December turns, no matter what. So this is their rule. I don't know why my kids decide to have this rule, but that's uh, where they are. So, But I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking that rule right now because I want to tell you about a very cool opportunity if you go to uh, phyllisschlafly.com, I'll put it up on social media. There's a link there, and there we have a Christmas sale going on. Now, what's very cool about Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, I mean, not just very cool about her. She was an amazing lady, but what is amazing, one of the amazing things about her is she was an incredible writer. And so we have already published volume after volume of her books. We call them Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. And you go on, on patents, on pro-life, on Donald Trump, 
uh, all there. And again, you go to this website, you can follow this. Also, there's um, the first reader, very popular. Phyllis Schlafly wrote a reading manual for children to read back in the day. I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago. It's very popular these days. It's called the first reader. And there's a first reader workbook. Uh, you can find that there. You can also, there's tote bags, Phyllis uh, Schlafly tote bags, leather uh, pad-, pad folio. We actually have a copy. Uh, the other day, you may remember, I repeared on Larry Elder's um, uh, radio show. And in the midst of all the different kind of appearance I made, I have acquired over the years some of the key books of folks uh, like Larry Elder. His book is A Lot Like Me, at tw- uh, out in 2018 in paperback, about his relationship with his father. Phenomenal book. You buy that there. We've got some uh, uh, David Horowitz books, autographed uh, books that are around. We also have uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, his book uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. Pilots. Pirates. If you uh, are upset they took down Thomas Jefferson's uh, a statue up in New York City. Here's a chance. This is a great history. Anyway, all of this is at this website. You can go there and check it out. Lots of books, including my uh, my uh, comic, excuse me, coloring books. Can't trump this Kofefe. There's a Christmas version. Uh, the most, the, the best book I can recommend. Really important for you to read is Phyllis Schlafly's book, A Choice, Not an Echo, which she updated in 2014. It was a a runaway, uh, multi-sold, I think, almost 2.5 million copies in 1964. Well, all those years later, uh, um, 50 years later, she published an updated version, and it gives you the best description of what's going on behind the scenes in the Republican Party and why it's so important to do that. So check it out. If you go, there's lots of gifts. About, oh, I want to meant to mention, there's also called the Turbo Reader. Phyllis, when she did the uh, first reader, she then did a, a Turbo Reader, which allowed people to uh, uh, a different level of reading you can get there. So another favorite of mine is Who Killed the American Family? Uh, extraordinary book written in 2014. You should get that. And then one last one I'll finish on. It's called The Supremacist. And it's uh, Phyllis writing about the importance, the tyranny of judges and how to stop it, the importance of the fight over judges. So a lot there. If you go again for Christmas, all these books, there's no supply chain problems. <laughs> there's no issues. You can sign uh, buy these books now. We'll get them to you. In just a few days, you'll get them for Christmas, and there really is something for everybody. If you have somebody that loves the pro-life movement, there's really nothing like uh, Volume 3 of Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. It's called, its subtitle is How the Republican Party Became Pro-Life, and it marches through how Phyllis Schlafly was able uh, to um, shape the platform of the Republican Party. It's an extraordinary history. It's got a description of, uh, of, of tactics to get it done. It's got description of the people that were against it. It's really great. Um, another book, by the way, that I recommend uh, to you is uh, if you have somebody who is a young person who's interested in being a speaker uh, and uh, speaking professionally, we put together, in fact, Phyllis picked this out before she died. The very first volume of her uh, writings is called Phyllis Shafley Speaks, Volume 1, Her Favorite Speeches. She pulled out a set of her favorite speeches, and we published them. And they're on every subject. They're on the military. They're on life issues. They're on patents. They're on the, uh, the um, economy uh, education, uh, one of her favorite topics, of course, the Constitution. She writes on that uh, in there. So that's a great one. And I, I've actually given that book uh, quite a few times to young people, our collegians uh, or someone that I know that just is interested in politics and policy uh, to show um, she 
Phyllis Schlafly was a writer her whole life, and she attributed the fact that she could write, uh, that she wrote well and worked hard at it, to helping her think clearly. You, you cannot be a loose thinker if you're writing all the time. You cannot, you just can't do it. And so she attributed that. And she wrote an extraordinary amount uh, in her long life. In fact, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see the button for the, uh, for the sale. But also, I'd recommend that you go there and you can look at her Phyllis Schlafly reports. Uh, she wrote so many um, essays, so many columns, and so many uh, reports. They called her PS Reports. It was a monthly report. I- I- incredible uh, discipline, incredible cl- uh, clarity. And as I often tell people, I can go back and look over the 50 year period where she was writing so frequently. I can go back and look and I can track down almost any topic, uh, anything that was, you know, in the news she had written about uh, in some way. And her take is almost always. Uh, not just, it's not that it's unique. She didn't do things just to make it different, but it was, um, she had a way of seeing things, uh, that was different than most people. And so you could go and figure that out. So phyllisschlafly.com to find out more. And, uh, you want to sign on and you want to uh, pick up some gifts. And by the way, the proceeds go, of course, to our work, uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. So it supports us there. All right. So there's some Christmas gifts. If you need a gift to thank uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer, you can go there or Joanna Spilger, our great, uh, assistant producer who helps book these guests go there and get them a gift you can do it there so uh, more of that on social media thank you for listening we will be back uh, tomorrow it's ed martin here on a pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com